The best in Bitcoin made audible. You're listening to Bitcoin Audible with Guy Swan. What is up, everybody? This is Guy Swan, your host. This mofo's read more about Bitcoin than anybody you know. Uh, we are doing a follow-up to yesterday's episode. Uh, it was, again, a piece by uh, uh, Ian Grigg, and it was available on the nakamotoinstitute.org, which I'll just occasionally go up there and just explore and read something that I haven't explored before. And I found this a couple of weeks back, and I was like, oh, shit, this is going to be a fun one. Um, real interesting to dig into, and I want to talk about how his model again that was written in 1998 so if you haven't gone back if you want to listen to it um prior to this i'm going to try to re-explain everything so this episode will stand on its own um but it is a follow-up to that piece so uh and this was written in 1998 so if you want to go back and listen to that one that is yesterday's episode um a quick announcements before we get into this though uh first much love supporter of the show swan bitcoin um, they are the easiest and simplest way to set up a auto buy for Bitcoin. Um, you know, so you're not trading, you ignore all the noise and pay as low fees as you can for just auto buying into your Bitcoin savings plan indefinitely. And if you go to swanbitcoin.com slash guy, you're also supporting this show. Um, if you set up through my, uh, URL and when other awesome thing uh, that if you guys have not done it yet, uh, get your BitBlock Boom tickets. That is at the end of August. I think it's August 28th, so we're getting really close, but everything's being ramped back up. I'm going to be speaking at BitBlock Boom, uh, and I will obviously be there. Um, so if you want to hang out, um, I have got an offer code, a discount code that will save you 30% on those tickets. That is CC. So don't forget about that if you're buying those tickets. And the conference this year is, I'm super jacked. It's going to be a blast and I'm so excited to present. Um, I think y'all are going to love the, the topic that I have to cover. Um, don't want to spoil anything, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. Make sure to get your BitBlock Boom tickets there. Uh, it might not be uh, enough left of the dinner and maybe the brunch, I think, already sold out. General admission tickets are still available. I think, actually, I think the brunch is still available. So if you want to go to BitBlock Boom, you want to hang out in uh, Dallas, get a drink and talk about some Bitcoin, get your tickets at bitblockboom.com, discount code CC. All right, I think we're caught up now. Uh, let's go ahead and let's dig into this piece. Let's talk about the uh, the layers of uh, the new financial cryptography. Now that you know, ten years post Ian Griggs' uh, piece, Bitcoin comes into existence and it begins to define, or or at least lay out the groundwork to actually have these different layers accounted for to to have them operating in an independent manner and providing these assurances of a a true digital money um and the the comparison to see what it's really interesting to see how ian saw it just because 
Uh, obviously, there's a layered approach. You need to break these things out in layers or you don't have... Essentially, you need to lay the foundation for the, the problems that you were going to solve. You know, like if you have a, a problem of, uh, you know, pricing or something, you're, you're having a hard time pricing a thing, well, then you need to, if there's something screwed up in the value of the thing you're pricing it in, well, then you'll never solve the pricing problem. And like, like so there's these prerequisites that we have. There are these things that need to be sorted out more fundamental problems, more lower-level uh, uh, foundational issues that need to be worked out before the next layer can actually be solved. And that is, that's at the heart of why Bitcoin is not the payments solution. Bitcoin is the value solution. It is the independent communication of monetary good. And it's funny that Ian Grigg actually in this piece, in his seven layers, even even essentially makes the same sort of argument like he frames it in the same way that all of the applications the 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 digital issuance of you know other you know stocks or commodities etc and the retail payments the trading and market operations are all at the top they're all layer 7 it's there's a uh, implicit recommend, uh, uh, recognition that the are not in, implicit it's explicit like they're lower in the layers because they are more important they inform the value and the utility of the layers above it that the rights the accounting and the value need to be secured and need to have a uh, a, a foundation laid in order for the finance the retail payments the the issuers of digital value the trading and market operations that all of these things up top can even exist because they're all meaningless if they don't have a foundation to reflect back to and in the context of bitcoin if they don't have a secure independent and honest settlement layer in order to determine or in order to arbitrate who the final owner of any of this uh higher level finance uh and uh application uh, the outputs of all the higher layer applications actually is like who is the final um uh, who has the final say in the signing of that value? And that's what the Bitcoin layer is. And with that, we're going to build layers on top of it. But before, we, before I get into that specifically, let's look at the seven-layer model that Ian lays out here. And just, I want to go through what I think is essentially right and where, um, where kind of what we have with Bitcoin today differs and at the same time agrees uh is uh, there's so many great little tidbits that i pulled out of this um just in uh like kind of philosophies like kind of a way of thinking about it uh that's just really fascinating to to then turn around and look at it at bitcoin because remember none of this none of this existed he's seeing this as uh you know we need to figure out how to um, and even his language actually backs this up, that we need this client-server relationship where the client can verify what the server is doing. And what's funny is that uh, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin actually kind of routes around this problem altogether by making the client and the server one and the same, is that the client is the one running the operations, running the actual system uh, and software. But uh, before we go all the way there, uh, so just the layers. Layer one, cryptography. This is pretty obvious. Um, at the foundation of all of these are basic core 
mathematical assumptions and then the cryptographic systems that are built with that math. That the, the ultimate arbiter of who owns what is the, the cryptographic truth of the signatures, of the keys, etc., etc. It is the owner of the key that, is, uh, uh, that has the final say and has the sovereign say because there's nothing about, there's nothing manipulable about the protocol. Uh, but that gets us into software engineering. That gets us into the second layer uh, where this cryptography has to be applied in such a way that there needs to be a software infrastructure, uh, a structure, an architecture of the software where there is zero ambiguity in the way that software executes. And that's why the philosophy of being extremely conservative, of not changing anything, of actually hardening the code, of cutting out the fat and getting rid of unnecessary avenues or outcomes in the code or uh, potential, potential ways in which the same client written in Go or the same client written in Rust or in Python or something like that, like that these things could potentially execute differently at the end of it. That all of that ambiguity, all of that messiness needs to be cleaned up and removed because the, if if the, the code itself is the, if the software does not implement exactly the rules that it intends to implement, that it is built to implement, if there is any gray area, then all of the other stuff on top of it is meaningless. The value of it, the, the rights that any individual has, it doesn't matter if somebody holds the key, if there's a way to execute a contract without needing the key, that is the software engineering layer. And all of the other things, the rights, the accounting, the governance, the value, and of course, the finance, the payments, the, all the crap at the top, the applications, none of them mean anything if the software engineering is anything but solid, absolutely hard as a rock. It needs to be resilient to trillion dollar attacks in order for it to transact a trillion dollars in value. There, there, is, a, there is a relationship to how much money it or how much value it can secure to how absolutely unquestionable the outcome of its software engineering layer is um and and that's why it's it's the reason for it's the philosophy behind small blocks it's the philosophy behind move very slow and don't break things and it's the very reason bitcoin has assurances that no other system can actually give so with Ian on this, like these, these are the two fundamental layers. Layer one is cryptography, and layer two is the software engineering. And the philosophy and the amount of focus put into securing those two layers. I mean, Satoshi, Satoshi made decisions on this front as well. That rather than use a newer um, uh, patented uh, or a... Um, uh, uh, a younger, essentially, a crypt cryptographic system that may even have more features, may even be easier, may even be laid less data costly. Despite the potential to make those decisions, uh, Satoshi went, he went with the more conservative. He went with the one that was less likely to, it had the greater Lindy effect. It had survived more attacks and had survived in a longer span of time to prove that it was secure. And it was also the open and uh, least vulnerable to other like 
patent layer, like, like, like legal and log logistic attacks. It was the combination of the most open and the longest lived secure protocol or secure cryptographic um, algorithm, uh, the SHA-256 and ECDSA. Now, after those two layers, after the cryptography and the software engineering, which I think are, you know, it, it's kind of like the, uh, in comparison to the internet, uh, you'd have maybe um, electricity and then the data connect layer, the, the, the data link layer. Um, this is where the actual infrastructure is run, or maybe you could just say the data link layer and then the ethernet standard in, in general. Um, and then you have TCP IP on top of that. Well, I think Bitcoin is where that lies. Um, Bitcoin is, maybe it's the TCP IP, I don't know. Sometimes I think it's the uh, Ethernet layer. It's the, it's the actual, not the, not the hard infrastructure, obviously, but the actual encoding of the data itself. But I don't know, it's, it's really hard to say. None of these analogies work quite perfectly. But in Ian Griggs' model, the rights are the next layer. The authentication concept um, and the, uh, so, so it's the unit value allocation of ownership. Like, so, so the rights is part of where in the rights you have to define the money. And I don't know if, I don't know exactly, like I'll read exactly what Ian Grigg has in just kind of the summary. It is an authentic, the rights are an authentication concept. So I guess in that context, like the signature and the ownership of keys and with ownership allocated to unit value and methods of moving unit values between unit identities. So this is the idea of we have keys, we have hashes, we have public keys, and we have this method of moving whatever the unit of value is, which kind of in his system he sees just people issuing value uh, kind of haphazardly as, you know, you issue a stock, you issue a gift card balance, like that sort of thing, tokens. Um, or at least it kind of seems that's, that's his perspective, uh, which obviously there are tons of digital, like, extensions of value these trust um trusted uh centralized like value units that are based on business relationships you have or legal relationships and contracts and agreements um you know debt is that very thing but of course he also talks about like token money like uh and he even says i think the bullet i'll find it real quick it's like right here um, token money that emulates the bearer cash instruments with which consumers are familiar. Um, so, but what's, here's where this starts to get different. So, um, in the rights layer, it is, this is where you set the determinants of all of the contracts of 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 the actual system itself of the bearer cash instrument that you are exchanging and the fundamental rules within the system the the point of the software engineering is to clearly define and secure the rights within the system but here's the beauty of it is that there's a lot of elements of the rights which are based in other other uh, other layers of this protocol per Ian's setup, 
And this is where Bitcoin does it incredibly, does an incredibly unique thing. So the next layers above the rights are the accounting layer. It's like, okay, well, this is where we do the, you know, the double entry bookkeeping, which actually ended up being the triple entry bookkeeping, which is something that Ian actually wrote about. There's a, there's a really great piece on uh, IANG.org, I think, uh, which is his site about triple entry accounting um, and the nature of, you know, a public system like that. And this was, uh, this was prior to Bitcoin, if I'm not mistaken, his piece was. Um, I don't know, I'd have, I'd have to check on that again. But what's interesting is that the accounting layer, then the governance layer, and then the value layer is that literally in Bitcoin, these are all one layer. Now, you would at first think that... Um, you know, it makes sense to separate these things out because you want one to be able to uh, pull from the security or the assurances of the layer below it. So I, in, me, in Ian's sense, it makes sense that these are broken out into a layered approach of like you have your rights, then you just secure that with the, you, you secure accounting with those fundamental rights. You establish some sort of governance over, you know, what is correct or incorrect. And then the value uh, derives from that. But what's funny is that the value element to it and the rights element to it is actually circular. So in, in the Bitcoin system, they actually use, because you need this system to be independent, the accounting, the governance, and the value are key to whether or not you can even guarantee the rights of the system. Because the history, the present and the future of this system is key to whether or not you have any rights. Like there needs to be a way to prevent double spending. There needs to be a way to prove what happened before the next thing. Or your rights, your manipulation, your, uh, excuse me, your rights can be manipulated. Your, uh, the nature of your agreement can be changed. And, and therefore the outcome. Like it, it's all meaningless if you can manipulate, if you can't manipulate the order of events. Um, or excuse me, if you can manipulate the order of events. And of course, to what degree you can actually do that. Um, but then again, if you're looking at actually obtaining the value of something, this is also dependent upon the accounting. And to have that value is a right within the system that you have a certain amount of this bearer cash instrument. And therefore, if you don't have secure accounting, you don't have rights. So accounting is, in a sense, at the software engineering layer because it, it defines exactly what sort of value can be established within that system. What sort of assurances can be guaranteed to the user? The number of units of this money is absolutely part of the rights and unequivocally tied to the value of it and a requirement to establish the incentives for the governance model. This is why I think it's circular. I think all of those things are actually operating in tandem as checks and balances on each other in the software, uh, in, in the software engineering layer in order to create a system that can obtain value. Uh, but I think the value is the... the I would probably put it that the governance, the accounting, and the rights are 
the are all the same layer that what we agree on as truth by the software engineering layer is the governance it is the set of rights that we establish and that provides the incentive to the miners to continue building on this system and then their investment and their skin in the game it's a giant sociological experiment it's been established through a set of software engineering rules. But in the end, it's a, a system of incentives to, to align everyone's operations, everyone's goals, everyone's most profitable path forward, the best path forward to align to a single truth. Um, and all of those things operating together create the security and create the assurances that then can assign value to a Bitcoin. So the only thing I would potentially separate out is that the value is an emergent layer on top of the governance, the rights, and the accounting. Um, but well, you could probably argue that that's all in the same layer because, again, it's circular. The value then turns back around and provides greater assurances and uh, a, greater, uh, a greater foundation for the governance system for the for the mining and security uh, and for the accounting assurances and the the telling of time within this system the time chain uh, and of course then the protection of the rights of those individual users of that system and hence again that becomes uh, a a stronger a stronger foundation to support more value so this incrementally is self-reinforcing as a self-reinforcing loop where the more value actually attributed to the system the higher the assurances that actually come about from uh the use of that system uh, so that whole the the dynamic of all of those pieces working together is just fascinating to see how bitcoin gave the assurances and laid the foundation for a financial a cryptographic financial system. And now it was actually even more complex and broad than even Ian saw in the potential um, list at the beginning. That, like, just during the introduction, I talked about how this, there's so many, the intersection of so many different seemingly or previously unrelated disciplines. Um, uh, where's the list here, guys? Accountancy and auditing, programming, systems, architecture, cryptography, economics, the internet, security, finance and banking, risk, marketing and distribution, central banking. And I would add that economics itself, I don't think quite uh, encompasses all of the, the foundation of money that is important to it. So I would literally add money as a, as a, new, a new element in that list. And then I would also add sociology and game theory, that the only way to actually uh, create assurances in the governance model, um, and I'm talking about this not from the open source and developer governance model, governance model, which is another layer on top, um, but the fundamental governance model of the arbitration, the telling of time, and the uh, securing of who owns what within the Bitcoin system, which I think... I think Bitcoin has done an amazing job in its design. Satoshi brilliantly separated out the core of what needs to be removed from a, a, uh, 
essentially from governance, from politics in general, and what needs to stay hardened and separate from that layer, and then allow the governance in the development and the governance in, uh, you know, who has what client work itself out at the social layer. Um, it's another one of those kind of in the philosophy of BitTorrent of do only the absolute minimum at the base layer, but the maximum of what is most important to uh, to ensure essentially the independence of the system. Like BitTorrent, uh, we talked about this in lessons that BitTorrent can teach us. It's like a four-part series. I'll add the links in the show notes if you want to listen to those because I think there's some fascinating history of BitTorrent protocols and competing uh, competing, you know, uh, media or decentralized file sharing peer-to-peer protocols that Bitcoin can pull a lot of lessons from. And he has a really great series uh, that was by Simon Morris, if I'm not mistaken. Again, I'll leave those links because we talk about that like four hours worth or two hours worth, something like that. But again, so, so, so in that sense, like BitTorrent did not worry about the actual sharing of the torrent file. That was left up to the web layer. Um, and even though, and it's and like DNS, the web itself is decentralized enough that something like the Pirate Bay, Pirate Bay, you know, is turning what, 20 years old now or something, 17, something like that. I don't know. It's old as crap. It has been shut down 20 times and uh, brought back up. Um, that there was enough to make the core operation of the protocol secure and independent without bogging it down with too much crap, with too much ambiguity, uh, with too many features to um, uh, over-concrete anything that, you know, potentially needed to evolve or change very quickly in the future. And it did the absolute core of what it needed to do. And that, in that same way, I think Satoshi designed Bitcoin to take the most important pieces of governance, the rights of the users in the system, to uh, the, the chronology, the, the telling of time within that system, the, uh, the ownership of, of any individual bearer instrument, the monetary policy of that instrument, of the underlying money of the system, and remove it from the social sphere put it into the software engineering and uh, uh, the, the operation of the client itself so that all of the vulnerabilities, all of the corruption that comes with leaving that immense amount of power in the social sphere, that, that is essentially dealt with. And that's the value of Bitcoin. The value of Bitcoin is not anybody who tells you that you, this cryptocurrency is better because they can choose to have a more secure monetary policy or that, um, uh, oh, they're going to change it in the future to have no fees or anything like that. They're talking about what monetary policy they're going to implement, Ethereum being a great example. That is the opposite of secure. That means it's obviously in the social layer that that is being determined. That's not a natural money. That's not a sound or independent money. That's a social money. That is a political system. That is where the value of Bitcoin is, is that the, the social layer cannot defeat the, the underlying layer, the, the core of the actual protocol, that it's so hard to change that the protocol has already told you the protocol and the current uh, ecosystem, the current network 
It defines the monetary policy, and there is nothing that new entrants or people screaming about it on Twitter or Reddit can do to actually change that. Those fundamental rules are hardened. That's what makes it valuable in the first place, because we've never been able to secure that independently from all the fighting and subjectivity and corruption and authority in the only alternative systems that even implement it, that even have this space to be a part of. So, uh, whew, I'm getting a little warm, uh, worked up over here. So, uh, let's take a break real quick. Um, I just ran out of my drink and I'm going to be heading to the Raleigh meetup soon, but there's still some things I want to hit. So let's take a break, hit our sponsor. I'm going to get a drink and then we'll jump back in and I'll finish this out real quick. Cause there's a couple really cool things I still want to go over. All right. Got another drink feeling better. Um, so. Separation of powers. This is a quote from this piece. Routine management from value creation. Authentication from accounting. Systems from marketing. And this is, uh, this is one of those ideas. There's a lot of little, like, fundamental cypherpunk kind of philosophies or um, th those, those elements of how to think about these systems that were as foundational then as they are now. They haven't gone away and they haven't changed. And one of those is that, like what's amazing about this quote in particular is just in the idea of securing each goal, each individual um, uh, role, I guess, within the protocol uh, in an independent manner. And the point here is, is that game theoretic idea, is to make sure that there is no conflict of interest for any party within the system. This is kind of the beginning of the thought process behind the game theory that led to uh, the Bitcoin mining, validation, value, security circle, in a sense. The, the, the operation and uh, dependence of each of these things on each other is to separate out these roles so that the conflict of interest for a miner isn't to attack the system, but to make it more secure. The conflict of interest for the user is, isn't to, or there isn't one to, you know, cheat the system. It's to play along. It's to validate by your own rules um, because the cost of trying to cheat those rules or the cost of trying to manipulate the system or alter the system is so much greater than the value and uh, the, the reward you get from operating honestly and fairly within the system. And separation of powers from the people in that system, like that, that's the heart of why there is no owner of Bitcoin, um, is to radically decentralize the, the very foundation, all of the rules that are actually dedicated, they actually create the system in itself, that the incentives, uh, the rules that create the incentives are as independent as possible in a software engineering uh, sociological sense. And one of the other parts that Ian digs into just previously before the section with that um, uh, quote in it is uh, 
hints at multiple times about how like the account for the client um would would have certain uh certain amounts of verification to what was happening on the server the server couldn't operate behind closed doors the server maybe had more complex functions um and you know how to keep track of unissued value but the client was must always check what the server is doing have some means of validating to what the server has uh uh, calculated or I guess computed for who owns what and the signatures, et cetera, et cetera, for the value that they received is kind of, kind of in a sense, I guess you could say analogous to the whole idea of an SPV client is that you can see what, you know, said server or the network is doing um, enough to validate your transaction uh, and know that it's part of the broader honest network. He talks about so many times, uh, and I, I saved a couple of different uh, little quotes from it about validation, about authentication, about proving, about the client being able to look and see what's going on. And what's funny is that he didn't quite, it didn't seem that he extended that, or at least in kind of the mental framing from this point, without realizing the, the need of having truly an independent money at the heart of this thing, I think. Um, is that he didn't quite extend that to the, to the realization that the rights, the accounting, the authentication is meaningless if you don't know how many of the issued token there is, if you don't know how much money there is, and that that is absolutely dependent on validating the entire system. And Satoshi hoped that there was a shortcut for that. He talks about it in the white paper. Um, uh, since the very beginning, uh, people on the cryptography mailing list and people who worked in Bitcoin, how Finney, they talked about the potential for proofs to actually know that, you know, the, the rule set and the validation, even though you're only checking, you know, a tenth of the information or something like that, that it is in fact still completely valid and there just was no shortcut. Um, they tried many different things, but it was always some explicit trade-off to something else that could happen. And we know, thanks to the fork wars, thanks to Segwit2x and um, all of these things, that the miners are not necessarily trustworthy. The miners, if not kept in check by what the network allowed them to transact in by proving that it is a Bitcoin token following the Bitcoin rules versus a forked token following whatever rules they came up with, that the miners could very well collude and attempt to change the rules of the network. But if the market is confirming that those rules are not, in fact, the rules of, uh, of that network, well, then they can't sell their token. They, they evict themselves from the network. That's the job of a full, of, of a full node to absolutely 100% validate, um, to remove the need to trust some server. Uh, you are your server. You are the whole server of Bitcoin. Your full node runs everything. The only thing it doesn't do, unless you are a miner, is extend the chain forward into the future. But it absolutely is a stake in the ground as to what the rules of Bitcoin are, as to what the reward of the Bitcoin system is for contributing to it, as to who owns what, as to which ones you own. Um, it, is, it is the stake of which blockchain is the current valid one, which one can miners build upon. 
and they build upon the one that the market values. End of story. They, they do not get to choose which rock they mine is the more valuable. The market determines that. They check whether or not it's a Bitcoin or it's a silver coin or a gold coin or just tungsten. That is the difference between a Bitcoin and a Bitcoin cash unit is the rules that it follows. The full node is our spectrometer. Quote, as technologists, we strive to make the protocols that we build as secure and self-sustaining as possible. Our art is expressed in pushing problem resolution into the lower layers. This is an ideal, however, to which we can only aspire. There will always be some value somewhere that must be protected by non-protocol means. This is where the Bitcoin culture is such an interesting piece of this puzzle is, you know, 21 million is non-negotiable. Um, and then the same with the open source nature of development to keep it that way, to keep it a, a system of merit and to, and that philosophy. You know, I talk about the philosophy all the time of like, you know, being conservative, moving slow and not breaking things, et cetera, et cetera. But understand that's enforced outside of the protocol. It is part of the protocol history. It is the knowledge that we have. It is the road that we took to get here that defends that so strongly. And part of the beauty of the Bitcoin system is that it informs so much. The, the protocol itself informs the cultural values and informs the, the open nature of the protocol and of development. And because it's so much harder to change the protocol than it is to essentially adapt to the, the reality of the protocol, it's, it's, a, it's just a really, really fascinating... Um, that's one of the most beautiful things about it as a sociological experiment is this thing is organizing humans. You know, Gigi has a lot of pieces about this. Uh, Brandon Quidham kind of talks about this is that the, the layer of software engineering and the, the ability for this system to secure the rights of the user in the way that it does reinforces the strength of what it gives, of the rights that it gives. Like, it clearly defines what those rights are. It clearly defines what the money is. And then the resistance to change that that system has makes it more likely that the people will change on top of it, that the people that become part of it change in as consequence to Bitcoin. It's, it's as if, it, like, the, the fragility of all of our individual ideas and all of our individual, like, mental frameworks are greater than the fragility of the Bitcoin rule set in and of itself. Therefore, it is more likely to change the people who, are, who gravitate toward it than they are to change Bitcoin. The force, the, the, the greatness of the force that is needed to change the, the heart of what Bitcoin is, to change the 21 million, to change the sound money philosophy, to change the fact that this is about independent rights and independent sovereignty, the staying power of that per the software engineering and the cryptographic system that Satoshi created is, is more powerful than the staying power of 
the humans of humanity's subjective values in in the face of uh, in the face of a real market, a, a market that cannot be manipulated and will continue to give true pricing. Um, and that's a just a beautiful and fascinating thing. And that's why that's where so many people I think miss. The incredible depth of this system, the incredible depth, and they just look at this. And I just, I just read a tweet thread the other day that I could not believe how shallow the thinking was as to what Bitcoin is. Like this is just an app, you know. Like I could download, um, you know, I could download Alta Vista, or I could download uh, Netscape, or I could download Firefox, or whatever, you know, like just as if th this is just a simple choice between those things, and that the value is in which one has the better experience, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, the, that thinking, I feel like just, it's like, ah, you're missing all of the depth. It's like you're, you're, you're on a jet ski skimming the top of the ocean, you don't, and if you just stick your head under the water, it's infinite. There is so much more than that. That has got nothing to do with where the value comes from. That your web browser is cleaner and better than the other. It's, it's, it's just missing all of the core pieces of this puzzle, I feel like. Uh, and it's so hard to get through to people sometimes. It's just... I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's naturally a very complex thing, understandably. So, um, I guess I shouldn't. I guess I should have more patience with it. But damn it. It's frustrating. But, you know, the development atmosphere was actually, you know, there's a strict standard to uh, the developers hold each other to, like, and reviewing the work of others and in deciding what should have time devoted to it. There's an extremely limited, um, you know, amount of time and resources for directing the focus of development around Bitcoin, around this technology. Um, you know, like if, like it's extremely hard and it's the, it is the messy, messiest and most subjective part of the process. This is why it's led to such contention and, you know, hate between communities and led to multiple forks of the Bitcoin and then forks of Bitcoin, uh, like as time has passed. I mean, you saw the same thing happen in Bcash and BSV and it's something that I argued over and over again. I was like, from the very beginning, I was like, Bitcoin Cash is going to die in a series of forks because they've politicized the rules of the protocol. And as soon as you do, you can't go back. You can't go back and think, oh, now, you know, we can't, it's now we're going to make our, you know, protocol independent of Twitter decisions over what the monetary policy or difficulty adjustment algorithm is. Uh, and it's going to it's going to die to infighting, and that's exactly what happened. You got Bitcoin Satoshi's vision, you got Bitcoin ABC, and you've got you've still got infighting in both of those, and more threats of forks. I mean, it just it just goes on and on. Um, and because it's that, this is what originally worried me about. This was the greatest source of worry for me in Bitcoin's past is how quickly it becomes political. Um, and, you know, the public always thinks they know what's right. And when I was loosely trying to make sense of what was going on during the block size wars and the scaling wars with Bitcoin Classic and Bitcoin Unlimited, the, there was a piece of what made me... Gavin Andreessen was the, um, 
uh, was the lead maintainer after Satoshi kind of handed over the project to him, kind of disappeared. Um, and uh, Gavin was very open and vocal about the fact that scaling should be, um, uh, you know, left up to the mind, that we should just be raising the block size indefinitely and that the miners should decide, you know, what the block size is in some sort of, you know, market that they'll decide how big it is without acknowledging the huge conflict of interest that if they can handle more blocks or if they can handle bigger blocks and they have better bandwidth, it's in their interest to push anyone and everyone else out of the network. You, you turn, um, Greg Maxwell had a great example of this, that if you turn mining into a race instead of a lottery, and, and we read the white paper, this is about a lottery, and there's, the, there's a whole chapter on it in Inventing Bitcoin by Jan Pritzker. Gotta, gotta read that one. But the beauty of the Bitcoin mining system is that it is a lottery. If you have 50% of the hash power, um, well, then you win 50% of the votes. If you have 20% of the hash power, you win 20% of the, of the lottery. Excuse me. Um, but uh, if it's a race and you're 50% faster than everybody else, you win every single time. Bandwidth is a race. Hashing is a lottery. And bandwidth cannot be a determining factor in who gets the next block. It needs to be as eliminated as it potentially, as it possibly can be from the element of, uh, of deciding the chronology and the rules of this system. Um, and, and I thought that was a really interesting, like Maxwell's post about like the difference between a race and a lottery. I thought that was a fascinating analogy. But I had just lost so much respect for Gavin during that time because essentially the developers that he was working with weren't agreeing. And they were pushing back and they were giving a very serious arguments. You know, it got contentious, which I'm um, like, obviously it would. Like, this is incredibly important. And there are so many people devoting their lives to this, to this. It would be stupid to expect it not to become a vicious argument between people. I mean, for Christ's sakes, Linux had like vicious arguments and forks. Like, the history of all open source protocols have this problem. This is a normal thing in open source history. Um, but Gavin went to Reddit, went to, to social media, and basically started trying to convince, turn everybody against all of the devs that agreed, disagreed with him. And that was when I was like, dude, like I, I got worried about the politicization of this. And then I think it was Eric Lombroso talked about like the most dangerous thing that we can do here is politicize the upgrading and altering, the fundamental altering of the protocol rules of the monetary system. Because at that point, we have nothing different from the previous system. We've not improved anything. The fundamental problem that Bitcoin is set to solve gets unsolved. And uh, you know, Gavin trying to lean on, and, you know, this is part of when I got into it. So, so I was trying to look back and see what the hell, why I was, you know, having these contentions with uh, different developers and, you know, reading everybody's explanation and trying to land somewhere in the middle of all this. And um, obviously, the, like, it, it just made perfect sense that the, the ideal, as Ian talks about, is to uh, have as much 
that can be solved within the protocol, that can be independent and secured within the rules itself as possible, because no matter what, something gets left up to a non-protocol level. Something has to be dealt with at the social level. Um, but if we can secure those fundamental anchors that give it value in the first place, that secure its value, that secure its incentive system and the game theory within it, if we can leave those solid as a rock, we have something worth trillions of dollars that can literally save millions of lives all over the world. And that's unbelievably powerful. Um, and to have a cryptographic, a new financial system um, that, uh, that can secure, that can grant these level of assurances in spite of everything is so fascinating. It just, it, it's almost like, Hard to believe that we ever actually got it. it. It seems like a fairy tale when you really look at what it could potentially fix. It's, it just, it seems like somebody's trying to sell me snake oil um, because it's like, no, of course you couldn't fix all of that at once. Of, of course you couldn't give that level of accounting assurances, of monetary assurances in just a, in just a digital protocol that like anybody could edit on their own computers. Um, just, just, just absolutely crazy. But this leads us to level seven, finance layer. This is where retail payments will take. And I think, I think we'll have two layers in this. Um, I mean, potentially more, but uh, lightning is such a, Lightning is kind of like a language of interoperation between layers because it's blockchain agnostic, right? Like it's, uh, it's a very simple smart contract. Well, not simple, but simple in the tools that it uses. Time locks, multi-signature, um, uh, you know, two different types of time locks and multi-signature and uh, uh, the signing of... Uh, alternative transactions of like multiple routes out of the agreement and that's basically it like those 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 are the core tools you know general signing of keys uh multi-signature and a uh uh and two different types of time locks that that, that those are you know you can put those on any blockchain you can put those on a side chain you can put those on a, a side chain of a side chain you can put put those on an altcoin you can put those on a merged mine whatever you want to call it it's it's really like the TCPIP. That's why I, that's why I have a hard time like landing on that analogy for the internet as to which one Bitcoin is and which one Lightning is. Um, Lightning feels like maybe it's the HTTP moment. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it's it's a fascinating layer on top of Bitcoin, which will enable the financialization. It will create uh, what what the fundamental part of Lightning is is a liquidity layer. And that, I think, is highly underestimated. People say, oh, it has liquidity problems. No, it is the liquidity layer. That is what makes it fascinating, is that uh, liquidity is a critical part of financial, um, financial tools, of financial networks and financial systems. The Lightning is something that enables the, the quick... Uh, communication between liquidity layers on all any and all systems that can be built on top of Bitcoin. 
and the complexity of application that you can build on top of it. The, the pace of Lightning develop, development is incredible when trying to compare it to the, the snail's pace of Bitcoin development, of the fundamental layer, because obviously, you know, anything built on top of it, if you change something in the base layer, uh, you screw up everything built on top of it. If it's any critical change, if it's any rule set change or anything like that, you can redesign everything built on top of it. You, you kill your longevity. You kill the security that you had built up. You kill the Lindy effect. It's a terrible, terrible idea. But Lightning opens up all these, all these potentials. You have, you have a liquidity network to back any of these additional tools. You have a completely open, you have hash time lock contracts that who knows what the hell's on the other end of that hash. You don't need the network itself to do the execution of all these programs. You can have that between the client and the server, between the service provider and the user and allow them to independently do it so that even if the server doesn't show up or the service goes away, the client can always execute. The client always has the final key to, uh, uh, to the closing out of their contract, to, the, to, you know, to, to have Bitcoin be the arbiter of you know, who truly owns what um, and create that trust-minimized relationship with an incorruptible totem of value at the end of this. And that's where I think this, this layered system really, um, like Bitcoin is the monetary layer. Uh, and I think this is where, uh, like in Ian Griggs' model, I think what defines the monetary layer is the governance, the accounting, the rights, and the value. And I think those things work together and what, what we have in our, in our financial cryptography, in our financial cryptographic system, the reality that ended up being created is that those elements were too closely tied together to be independent because they were reliant on each other. The, the rights are dependent on the governance. The, the, uh, you know, the governance is dependent on the accounting and the value and the values dependent on the rights etc etc like like again it's a circular relationship and in all of that encompassing all of that is the monetary system the 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 actual monetary schedule and the monetary properties that is what gold does in in the natural world in the physical world it establishes the rights the the governance or that which is not subject to governance um, and the value uh, and accounting of ownership within the system. Like that, that is the money. The money takes those things out of the social sphere and makes them givens, which the social sphere then can then uh, lean on to, to enforce or establish honesty, authentication, and truth, in a sense, economic truth. Um, and, and so that's what we have. We have layer one is cryptography. We have layer two is social engineering. We have layer three is the monetary layer. And layer four and potentially layer five will be the finance, the payments, the, uh, the applications, the network, the liquidity, all of these layers um, that, that, are, that are the building blocks of an entirely alternative financial system they are on top of a hard, impenetrable monetary base. 
and that is Bitcoin. Um, and it, it's so crazy just to see so many of these ideas and like uh, fundamental uh, fundamental policy um, and, and like mental framing, like the way of thinking about this, illustrated in 1998 by you know someone realizing just how broad and strange of a, a system this is, how many disciplines it encompasses, and, you know, beginning to, beginning to see what it might look like, beginning to try, trying to predict the future um, when there are only a handful of tools in place, and the decades that these cypherpunks and people worked to make this a reality that culminated in Bitcoin and Satoshi Nakamoto's gift to the world. So with that, I don't think I'm going to have, I have like a, such a long list of notes that I didn't even hit on this, but screw it. Uh, <laughs> I got to close this one out for today. I ended up going on way too many tangents. Um, I will uh, talk to you guys later. I hope you enjoyed this. Don't forget BitBlock Boom tickets, guys. Um, we are getting really close now. Offer code CC will give you a 30% discount. So don't overpay. Make sure you use that offer code. Um, and uh, uh, like I said, I'll be speaking there. So you know, hit me up on Twitter DM or Telegram or something like that. And uh, you know, yeah, let's hang out. Come, come hang out. Listen to me talk, and we'll get a beer, get a drink. And of course, uh, don't forget to check out Swan Bitcoin, the best place to start up your auto purchasing Bitcoin savings plan swanbitcoin.com slash guy uh, is a great way to support the show uh, if you set up through that URL. So thank you, thank you for everyone who has. Uh, with that, we'll go ahead and just close this out. I love you all. This is Bitcoin Audible. Guys, take episode. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And until next time, take it easy, everybody.